Let's open our Bibles now to Romans chapter 8 as we continue through this glorious epistle. And really in chapter 8 are, are just at the mountain peak of glory uh, that the Lord has given to us in his word. We are going to be picking up now where we left off last week as we have been working our way through this glorious chapter. We find ourselves now in verse 26. Really going to be considering together verses 26 and 27. And so let's, let's read that now. Hear the word of the Lord. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for your supernatural, inerrant word. Lord, for this good and pure and perfect gift that you have given to us, that through your word we hear the voice of our God. Through your word you reveal yourself to us. By your spirits working through your word, you conform us to the likeness of Christ, even causing hearts that are dead and cold in sin to live. I pray, Lord, that you'd accomplish all of your good purposes among us this morning by your spirit, through your word. I pray for myself as I proclaim your word that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, last week, if you were with us, we, we considered Paul's words about creation, that, that creation itself is, is groaning. Creation is laboring. Creation is suffering. It is longing for its release from bondage to corruption and decay because of sin. And Paul also showed us that, that creation's condition is directly tied to humanity's conditions. Uh, man's fall into sin is what led creation to be in this bondage in the first place, this bondage to corruption, this bondage, as Paul said last week, to futility, where nothing just really goes the way it ought to go. And so creation is eagerly anticipating our glorification because it's only then that creation will be freed from its subjugation to the curse of God because of sin. And so if you remember all the way back to Romans chapter 1, Paul presents creation as a preacher. Creation is testifying, it's proclaiming the truth about God, namely Paul says about his power that his invisible attributes are seen plainly in creation around us. And Paul, there in Romans chapter 1, is telling us, look around you, look at creation, hear the voice of God in his universe. You can't miss God. You can't miss his unmistakable power. You can't miss his creativity. You can't miss his majesty. Well, now in Romans chapter 8, Paul's going to tell us again, listen to the voice of creation. Listen to what it is that creation is proclaiming. You can't miss the agony. You can't miss the longing. You can't miss the enslavement to corruption and decay in creation around you. You can't miss the eager anticipation for glory. The, the universe is groaning for a better day. It longs for the coming day when, as Paul said in verse 21, creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So creation is, is groaning, it's, it's laboring, it's longing for that day, but Paul also showed us in the verses we considered last week that it's not just creation that's groaning that way, we groan too. 
Every Christian longs for the day of our coming glorification, don't we, saints? Don't we long for that day? Where we will be transformed in the presence of Jesus to resemble him, no more sin, no more suffering, no more death, no more, no more prayer requests. Because all will be right with us in his presence. Oh, we long for that day completely, forever, free from the curse of sin. And in the meantime, Paul reminded us, we wait. We wait with anticipation. We wait in a confident, sure hope in the promises of God. God's promises are true. God's promises are unshakable. That should be more than enough for us. Right there, what Paul told us. There is glory coming for the saints of God, and God has promised it, and nothing can shake that. Nothing that goes on in the world around us can take that away from us. That should be and is more than enough, more than we deserve, more than we could possibly need, but it doesn't stop there. And that's what Paul gives us as we continue on in these verses. Paul is about to reveal to us, it's not just the universe that's groaning, it's not just Christians that are groaning, God himself is groaning with us. The Holy Spirit who indwells us is right now groaning on our behalf. This is difficult to believe. It's almost too amazing for us to imagine, but it's true. The Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the triune Godhead, is praying for us right now, interceding for us right now on a constant, continual basis as you, Christian, live your life the third person of the triune Godhead who lives in you is groaning in intercession for you. That is, oh, if we could just understand that. Isn't that mind-blowing to consider? This is what Paul says, though, in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. This word likewise connects what Paul's about to say to what Paul just said. That's what that word does. It's a, it's a connecting word. It's, in other words, what Paul's about to say is a continuation of the things he has just told us. So specifically, what he's told us is creation is groaning and we are groaning in anticipation, suffering under the weight of the curse of God uh, on humanity, on creation, and also groaning in eager anticipation for our glorification. And then he says, likewise, in other words, in the same way, the Spirit is groaning. And there, there, there's a Greek word that doesn't always get translated directly when translating into English. In fact, the ESV that I'm reading for, English Standard Version, doesn't translate it uh, because of how Greek grammar works. It's very, very different from English. And if we were to, to directly translate every single word into English, the English would be very difficult to read, wouldn't make a lot of sense to us. This little word is one of those words. But in this case, I think it did need to be translated. Uh, not that I'm smarter than the translators of the English Standard Version. I am not smarter than them. Uh, but, but I believe there's something here that, that's helpful for us. This little word, three letters in the Greek, chi, means and, also. So literally, the, the, the Greek would read, the Spirit also helps us. The Spirit also helps us. We have been helped, as we saw last week, by the future promises that God has for us. Don't those help us? We've considered several times as we've gone through Romans chapter 8, these promises from God about what the future holds are very helpful to the Christian. We ought to see our lives in relation to these promises that we have. 
to this inheritance that we have coming to us. But Paul says now we are also helped, not just by this promise of the future, but by the Holy Spirit of God who lives in us. So it's not just that we have to think about the future, think about our inheritance, think about what's coming and muster up the courage and and the strength to keep going day by day. It's not just what lies before us that is a help to us, it's the one who dwells within us that's our help. Well, this is glorious. He, He produces the hope that we have. He produces perseverance in us. He produces this strength that we walk in day to day. And, and, and this word helps is also very important. In, in Greek, it's a, it's a very emphatic word. Not like our little five-letter English word. It's a little word in English, helps. It's a compound word in the Greek. It's, it's 17 letters in the Greek. It's three words put together. This, this word helps. The, the root meaning of this word helps is, is to grab hold of something and to not let go. You, you have got a hold of this thing that you won't let go. And then there are two prefixes added to the word, which is just amplify the, the power of the word. One means with or, or to join with, and the other means in the place of. So this is what the Holy Spirit does for us. The word literally means that the Holy Spirit powerfully takes hold of us, does not let go of us, joins with us, and pulls us along in the Christian life. This is how the Christian life works. This is how sanctification works. We are very much involved. Sanctification takes effort. The Christian life takes effort. We don't just put it in neutral and coast and think we're going to go in a good direction, but it's the Holy Spirit of God that's providing all the power for godliness. It's all coming from him. We, we came back a couple weeks ago from vacation, and we spent most of our vacation going to Universal Studios. If you're familiar with that, it's a big theme park. But when you walk in, there's this glorious thing, because it's a long walk from the garage to the theme park. And you walk in, and there are moving walkways. A glorious creation. You, you see these in, in airports as well. Right? You, you walk on these things, you step on them, and they propel you forward. There are monsters in this world who just stand on them. Sometimes they stand three across and you can't get past and you're wondering what you're going to do. Do I push them down? What do I do? But you step on these things and they pro- propel you forward. You're walking twice as fast. Every little ounce of effort you put into it is being maximized by this thing that, that you're walking on. That's the idea here. We're still called to walk out this Christian life, but the Holy Spirit is propelling us. The Holy Spirit is empowering us. The Holy Spirit is maximizing and multiplying our efforts. Now, the analogy breaks down here because if you're one of these monsters who stands still on the moving walkway and not all the way off to one side, you're still going to be making progress, right? You're still going to keep, keep moving. But the truth is, without the help of the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't walk at all. We wouldn't move an inch. We, we wouldn't move a little bit. We, we would be totally stationary, unable to move in our own strength. And step. In fact, not stationary. We'd be going backwards. That's why Paul says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. In our weakness, the Spirit helps us. Even though we are God's children, adopted because of the work of Christ, we are frail. We are weak. Every single victory in our lives, every measure of success, every ounce of strength is not in and of ourselves. It is in and through the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of his spirit. 
by the Spirit that dwells in us. That's every success, every strength, every victory. That's why Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 13, a verse we know well, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Of course, Paul, in in the context there, is talking about something very specific when he makes that statement. I can endure suffering because of him who strengthens me. But Paul says, I can do all things. Now, even though popular American Christianity has wanted to, to make this verse all about other things, and I can assure you, in my years of coaching in a Christian college in an athletic uh, setting, I've heard this verse many, many times applied to things like making more free throws, winning more tennis matches, whatever, whatever the context may be. We often hear it applied to all kinds of personal achievements, whether they be academic or athletic or in the workplace. Paul actually applies it to enduring suffering as a Christian. But how is it that Paul says, I can do all things? How is this statement true? What is it that makes this possible? I can do all things. Well, it's not by pulling himself up by his bootstraps. It's not not because, look, you're capable of doing whatever you put your mind to. That's often how this verse is used. It's just a way of telling you you're great and you can do it. No, that's not what Paul says. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's, it's only by and through the strengthening power of Christ. Remember what, what Jesus told his disciples, John 15, verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Now, do you know what nothing means in the Greek? Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Even as believers... We are powerless to live the Christian life apart from the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in us. We are not good enough in ourselves. We're not strong enough in ourselves. We're not righteous enough in ourselves. It is the working of the power of Christ in us by His Spirit, or we do nothing. In and of ourselves, we are weak, helpless. The word literally means disability. We are significantly disabled to live the Christian life on our own. Just how how needy are we? Just how weak are we? Just how helpless are we? Well, Paul tells us in these verses we're considering, we're so weak, we can't even pray right on our own. We can't even do that. We cannot pray right unless the Spirit of God helps us. This is what he says as he goes on in verse 26. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Friends, whether you want to hear it or not, that's how weak you are. That's how weak I am. On my own, without the Holy Spirit's help, I don't even know how to pray right. I don't even know what to pray for. Why is that? Why is it that we we can't even pray right without the Holy Spirit helping us? Well, first, it's because we don't know what God's going to do in the future. Many of our prayers have to do with the future, and we don't know what God's going to do. We don't know what the future holds, not the near future and not the distant future. We don't know how all of God's manifold plans are going to play themselves out, and yet we pray based on what we think God should do, don't we? That's what our prayers are. God, I think you should do this. It doesn't mean that, that, that you can't pray that way humbly, right? We, we come to God. We're, we're instructed to come to God with our requests to make them known. But where we begin to find that, that, that our thinking is skewed 
is when we become disillusioned with God when he doesn't come through the way we think he needs to. I can tell you how often I have conversations with people whose lives aren't going the way they think God ought to make them go, and they are disillusioned. God says in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so we cannot pray rightly on our own because we do not know the mind and the will of God. He has revealed certain things to us, but those aren't the things that disillusion us. We think we know how things ought to go for us. We reveal that we don't trust him. We trust our own human understanding. Secondly, we can't pray right without the Holy Spirit's help because we not just don't understand what God's going to do in the future. We don't understand what God's doing and we misunderstand what God's doing right now. Right now in the world around us, in our lives. We, we don't just misunderstand what's going to happen. We misunderstand what is happening in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials, in the midst of pressure. We often miss what God is accomplishing in our lives. And even when we do understand some of what we're doing, what God is doing, I love this quote from John Piper. He says, God's always doing 10,000 things in your life. You may be aware of three of them. Even when we're aware, I think God is working here in my life. There's so many other things God's doing and we don't know. We don't see the Apostle Paul has his own story of misguided prayer that he shares with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, I'm sure you know this account well. Paul speaks of the, the, the revelation that he was given from the Lord, and he says in verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from being conceited. Now, a messenger of Satan is not a thing we want in our lives. Can we all, I think we can all agree on that. That's not coded language. This is terrible. Some terrible thing has come into my life. Paul says it's like a thorn digging into my flesh. It's a messenger of Satan. And so he goes on, just like we would. Verse eight, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Of course it should leave me. This is a bad thing. This is a messenger of Satan. We would pray this way. Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul is enduring this suffering, and people speculate on what this is, whether it's demonic harassment, whether it is some physical ailment. Some say it is, it is agitators in the Corinthian church, and I can just tell you as a pastor who's been at this for a while, uh, that feels like a messenger of Satan. Uh, but whatever it is that's going on, it's a bad thing. Paul is praying for it to be removed, fervently, repeatedly praying that the Lord would remove this from his life. And when God reveals to him that there's divine purpose in his suffering. That God is at work in his weakness. That's the same word here as in our, in our passage, as in verse 26. God is at work in his weakness. Paul stops praying against it and says, then I will boast 
in my weakness. If this gives me more of you, God, I will boast my weakness. I will take whatever you give me because I know it's for my good. But Paul had been, as we would, praying against the very agent of God's power in his life. Paul was praying this thing that God had sent into his life for his good, for his growth, for his strengthening, so that the power of God would be made manifest in him. Paul had been praying that that would be removed from him. Think of that. Think of that. The means by which God was working for his good felt to Paul like something was terribly wrong. And he was actually praying for the removal of something that God had sent into his life for good because it looked bad and it felt bad and it wasn't a good thing. It was a messenger of Satan, whatever that was. It wasn't a good thing, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good in his life. And so when Paul says here in verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know how to pray as we ought. He knows what he's talking about. He's lived it. He's lived through. God has sent me something for my good and I prayed against it because I didn't understand. I don't think Paul, I don't think Paul is regretting having prayed those three times that the Lord would remove this messenger of Satan from his life. That wasn't wrong. That was the right kind of prayer to be praying. But what God revealed to him is you see a very limited, limited picture of my eternal and immeasurable plans. It's, it's like St. Augustine says of living in this life, it's like having your face pressed up against stained glass. You can see colors and the broken glass, and it might even look like something's gone wrong, but it's only because you don't have the perspective to step back and see that nothing's wrong at all. It's a work of art. That's what Paul learned in that moment. His prayer wasn't wrong, but when God revealed to him the greater work that he was doing, Paul said, then I'll boast in it. And I'll boast in it. Third, we, we need help in prayer from the Holy Spirit because we tend to mistake what we truly need. If you were to ask the average person, what is it you need in your life? What, what, what do you need? You'll get any number of answers, maybe more money, more security, better health, more possessions, better friends. Do you, do you know what happens to a majority of people that win big in the lottery? It doesn't end up being a blessing in their life. It, it completely destroys their life. They are far, far, far more statistically likely to declare bankruptcy over the next three to five years than the average American. Much higher percentages of depression, drug and alcohol abuse, divorce, among people that have hit it big winning the lottery. What, what is it that you need? What is it that you need? More, more money, a better job, better relationships, things, power, popularity. These are the things we think of that are going to solve things for us. It's going to go better for me if I, if I have more of these things in my life than I do right now. But the truth is, we don't know what's best for us. Paul certainly didn't think the messenger from Satan was best for him. We don't know what we need in life on our own, and so we don't know how to pray on our own. We pray for the wrong things. We ask for the wrong things. Here's the good news, though. God hasn't left us on our own. God hasn't left us in that state where we don't even know how to pray. 
Paul says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Again, this word helps. It's like that moving walkway. Just because the Spirit prays for us doesn't mean we're, that we're not supposed to pray. All right, the Spirit's got the prayer covered. I don't need to be fervent in prayer. I don't need to be passionate in prayer. He's, he's covering all of that. This, this word helps has, has the picture of carrying one side of a heavy log. The, the believer is groaning with his need for wisdom, for his need for courage and faith and purity and grace. The believer is praying without ceasing, knowing, not, not knowing exactly what the mind of God is, but the Spirit is helping him. The Spirit is empowering him. The Spirit is helping carry the load of prayer. That's the picture here. Kent Hughes, in his commentary, says the Holy Spirit does not just give armchair advice. No, he rolls up his sleeves. He helps us bear our weakness. How marvelous this is. We have two intercessors on our behalf, one in heaven, our Lord Jesus, who intercedes for our sin, one in our hearts, the Holy Spirit himself. When we don't know what to pray for, when we don't know how to pray for it, even in the midst of pain and suffering and struggle, even through the normal course of our days where we're not feeling the intensity of pain and trials and suffering, the Spirit carries the load. The Spirit carries the load by helping us pray. Again, verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. How does the Spirit intercede for us? Again, as we continue, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So how is it that the Spirit intercedes for the believer? How is it that he intercedes for us? One is this, the Holy Spirit personally intercedes for the believer. This is, this is beautiful. He, he says, the Spirit, and this word is not inconsequential, the Spirit himself intercedes for us. God the Holy Spirit has not delegate, delegated this responsibility to someone else. The Spirit himself, he could have appointed angels to intercede for us around the clock. He could have ordered the saints in heaven to be praying for us. He could have commanded planets themselves to cry out to God on our behalf. He could have been satisfied with believers around the world praying for one another, but he is not satisfied with any of that. He is not satisfied unless he is personally involved. Christian, the third person of the triune Godhead personally interceding on your behalf. It's astounding. It's amazing. It's beyond comprehension. The, the Holy Spirit personally, Christian, is praying for you. Personally. It's not just that, that he is personally praying. He is praying for you. Personally. Let that sink in. That is glorious. The Holy Spirit himself personally, individually, directly interceding on behalf of individual Christians. This word intercede just means to plead someone else's case on their behalf to a higher authority, to, to stand up for them, to represent them before an authority. 
to, to petition a higher authority on their behalf for their good. It's, you picture an attorney. That's what this word is. Someone who stands up for you before an authority. And Christian, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing for you continually. Continually, day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. He is always representing you before God the Father Almighty. What an amazing thing. What a freeing thing it is to not stand on our own merits before the righteous judge of all the universe, God the Father Almighty. As we were just reminded a moment ago from the passage I read from Kent Hughes' commentary, the Holy Spirit isn't even our only advocate before God the Father Almighty. Not only do you not stand on your own merit because the Holy Spirit is interceding for you, In verse 34 of Romans 8, when we get there eventually, we will read this. Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So the Holy Spirit is continually interceding for you, Christian, before the throne of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ is continually interceding for you as well. This is personal, specific individual intercession. You, by name. It's an astounding thing. The Holy Spirit of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, interceding continually for you by name. And here's the thing. Both of these advocates have spotless records. Flawless records. Their intercession is perfect Their intercession is always effective. Their pleading on your behalf is always successful. I love the words of that great old hymn that we sing together so often. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. This intercession is perfect. It is always successful. So the Holy Spirit intercedes personally for the believer. Second, the Holy Spirit intercedes with passion for the believer. Look at at verse 26 again. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. John MacArthur in his commentary says, it's not some sort of charismatic tongue. It's not some sort of gibberish without any rational content. We are told by Paul that the content of this intercession is too deep for words. This verb, groaning, it means to sigh deeply, to sigh with longing. The Holy Spirit of God is not a stoic, emotionless being. The Spirit has deep feelings, deep affections, affections toward the Father and the Son and towards us. And notice it's groanings, plural, groanings. This speaks of an intensity of these groanings. There's an overflow. There's an abundance of groanings. It's an amazing description of what theologians call inter-Trinitarian communication. That's your word for today. Inter-Trinitarian communication. It just means the divine articulation between the members of the Trinity, triune Godhead. In this case, it's speaking of communication between the Holy Spirit and God the Father Almighty. Paul references this communication in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, second half of that verse. He says, no one comprehends the thoughts of God, 
except the Spirit of God. Again, John MacArthur says, because the Spirit's will and the Father's will are identical, because God is one, Paul's statement seems unnecessary. But he's pointing up the truth in order to give us encouragement. Because the three persons of the Godhead have always been one in essence and will. The very idea of communication among them seems almost redundant to us. It's a great mystery to our finite minds, but it is a divine reality that God expects his children to acknowledge by faith. What a mystery this intercession is. That the Holy Spirit pleads on our behalf continually before the throne of God above. What a mystery, but what an encouragement. What an amazing truth has been revealed to us. Just as creation is groaning on our behalf, just as we are groaning with longing for glory, so too we are indwelt by the Spirit of God who is groaning on our behalf, who is interceding for us. Christian, think of that. Think of what that means. God the Son is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you right now. His intercession is perfect. His prayers are answered. And God the Holy Spirit is interceding for you from within you and His prayers are perfect and always answered. There's so much hope. There's so much assurance to be found in this. In fact, next week we're going to consider this glorious declaration that we all love. Verse 28, that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. What we're going to see, though, is that statement begins with this word, and we know. In other words, it's directly tied to what Paul's telling us right now. The Holy Spirit of God intercedes on your behalf continually before the throne. Because that's true, the continuation of the thought and its implications is, if the Spirit is interceding for you, if Christ is interceding for you, if you are in Christ, then you can be sure that all things are working for your good. It's not just some random statement we pluck out. It's the implication of truth that has been revealed to us, and there are greater truths revealed on the back end of that statement. What a glorious thing. Third, then, the Holy Spirit of God intercedes perfectly according to the will of God. Verse 27, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So these first two points tell us what the Spirit does for us, and now we see why he does it. It's because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He doesn't pray according to our will, which is faulty and flawed. We don't always understand the will of God, and we don't understand it at all on our own. No, he doesn't pray according to our will. He intercedes according to the will of God. This is what it means For us to pray in the Spirit, as Jude 20 tells us. Jude 20 says, But you, beloved, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit is not some sort of mystical tongue that you pray with that some people get to do and others don't. It means to pray in harmony with the Holy Spirit. To to pray for what He prays for, not our own will. To pray according to the will of God. It means to pray as the Spirit prays prays for the same things that the Spirit is praying for us. And Paul, in a couple of verses, is going to tell us exactly what that is. 
What is God's will for you, Christian? What is it that the Holy Spirit is praying for you, that prayer that, that is effective, that's always answered? Well, Paul's going to tell us what the major thing is. The major thing about God's will. If, we, if we're looking at an eye chart, it is the big E on top. And when we talk about the will of God, we're usually looking down here somewhere at like 2015. These, these tiny little letters, and we're going, God's will for me is about where I work and who I date or marry and where I'm going to go today and what I'm going to do here. No, this is the big thing that God has revealed. The major thing of God's will for us is that you and I would be conformed to the image of Christ. Christian, that's God's will for you, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And as you do that, these other things fall into place. When you pray, and the Spirit prays on your behalf, it is not a replacement for obedience. It's not a replacement for needing to resist temptation and obey God. It is not a replacement for faith in the midst of fear or tribulation or trials or suffering. It is not a replacement for total submission to God. No, prayer is that which undergirds all of these things. It is this prayer that we would be conformed to the image of Christ that upholds all these other things. It helps us to resist temptation. It helps us to stand in the faith in the midst of suffering. God is using, Christian, the good times in your life and the bad times. He is using prosperity and he is using adversity. He is using everything that has taken place in your life and everything that will take place in your life to humble you, to lift your eyes to him, to mold you, to conform you to the image of Christ. And it is towards that end that the Holy Spirit of God is continually, personally, passionately interceding on your behalf. Father, make them more like your son. Conform them more to the image of Christ. Purify and sanctify them. Strengthen them to be faithful. These are the prayers that the Holy Spirit is offering continually on your behalf before the throne of God, even as the Lord Jesus Christ himself continually intercedes, putting forward his spotless righteousness instead of your very faulty righteousness. No one has ever prayed for you like the Holy Spirit of God prays for you, Christian. You may have. I'm grateful. I'll get to see my parents here for lunch since it's Father's Day. They are top candidates for two of the best people that have ever walked this planet. They faithfully prayed for me. I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, I would not be who I am today were it not for their faithfulness and their prayers. But nobody has prayed for me like the Holy Spirit has prayed for me. No one has ever pleaded with the Father more perfectly. No one has ever agreed with the intercession of the Son more completely or prayed with such purity of passion. Even this morning, in this room, He intercedes for you. That your eyes would be open, that your mind would be renewed, that your heart and will would be conformed to the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, let's, let's join in that prayer with him together. That the Lord would continue to accomplish these things in our lives. That by his spirit, we would be made increasingly faithful in a dark world. 
If you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, I mean, you're self-consciously aware that you are not a Christian. You have not submitted your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I just want to say to you, you could have this. You could have this. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the kind of life you've lived, the kind of rebellion that you have walked in, even the things you did last night before you came here this morning. You could have the intercession of the second person of the triune Godhead, the creator of all things, the Lord Jesus Christ, who not only applies his righteousness to you and takes your guilt upon himself, but then eternally makes intercession on your behalf, putting forth his spotless record in place of yours. You could have this. You could have his spirit, the third person of the triune Godhead, dwell within you by faith. Continually, from the inside out, testifying that the promises of God are true. That the hope of the gospel is real hope, solid hope. That the joy you've been chasing in so many other things is is found only in Him. And that it's there in abundance. The Spirit interceding for you effectively that you would be transformed into the likeness of Christ. This is there for you if you'll come to him in faith. And that's it. doesn't mean making yourself perfect. doesn't mean you got everything right. doesn't mean you know the Bible inside and outside, backwards and forwards. It's to come to Christ in humble faith and submission. Call on the name of the Lord and he will save you. And Christians... How much more ought we to call on the name of the Lord together every day? Join with the Holy Spirit who is empowering us to walk and we, we not only walk, we run. We run with him on the path of righteousness and obedience. Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for your living word.